The whole Bible is about Jesus. The central conviction that we have as a church that the whole of Scripture is meant to point us to the greatness of Christ and to unfold for us the redemptive work that God has been doing since the beginning of time for us through Jesus. The Bible presents one story. It's a collection of stories, yes, but all of these individual stories are tied together in a larger story that is meant to point us to Jesus. And it's important for us to read the Bible in this way, to see Christ as the hero of Scripture, to see him as the focus of the Bible, because when Christ is exalted in our hearts, it leads us to the desire to glorify God more, to want to worship him more. Of course, it leads us to salvation for those of us who have not been saved. But on the other side of salvation, the reminder of what God has done for us in Jesus is essential to our faithfulness, to our steadfastness as the people of God. And that's the whole goal of this series, as we talked about last week, that we want you to see on every page of Scripture, how Scripture is preparing you to understand in greater ways the work of Jesus. We don't read Genesis 1 and think, how great is Adam? Or 2, how, how great is Adam? How could you? He blew it. Even in our story today, we don't look at Noah and think, how great is Noah? If we read these Old Testament passages and we fall short of allowing them to point us to Christ, we have read them incorrectly. The story of Noah is not a story about Noah, really. Yes, there's a lot of things that God does through Noah, but ultimately it's a story about God and the saving work that he wants to accomplish upon this earth that he will do primarily and fully through Christ. You see, what we're doing is learning how to read the Scripture in a way that points us to Jesus. There are many ways that the Old Testament points us to Christ. One of the ways that we're looking at through this series is its use of types. You may remember that word from our study last week in Romans chapter 5, where Adam was proposed as a type of Christ or a, a picture of Christ. It gave us a lot of understanding about what Christ would do, but the work that Adam did was incomplete and necessitated Christ, the coming of Christ, to fulfill it. And the same thing is true today as we look at the story of Noah. Noah is a type of Christ in that, in his personage, God did some incredible things through him, some, some salvific things for the people of God to push forward redemptive history as God had designed it. But at the same time as we consider the story of Noah and we consider the many things that God is doing through Noah, there are elements of his story that make us look beyond that force us to consider someone greater than Noah wetting our appetites for Christ. This is how the Old Testament works. There are people, there are characters throughout the Old Testament who God does amazing things through, but also have significant shortcomings that are meant to cause within us, within our hearts, to stir within us a longing for someone greater, and that someone greater is Christ. Noah. That's the guy we're going to look at today, the type of Christ that we're going to look at today. Many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with his story, especially if you grew up in the church going to vacation Bible school or being a part of kids' ministry. You know the story of Noah. But for those of you who don't, this is a miraculous story. 
God does something amazing in the story of Noah. Through Noah, through the the work that God does in Noah's life, God offers a new beginning. A new beginning to the entirety of creation, a restart so that humanity could become the kind of people that God created them to be. There are many incredible things that we see in the life of Noah, many reasons to commend him. But at the same time, as we think about the many things that are worthy of emulation in the life of Noah, we are also forced to consider his shortcomings. The shortcomings of he himself, but also the work that God did through him, how he was not able to be the kind of initiator of new that we needed him to be. There was something incomplete about his work that points us to Christ. So let's jump in today to this story, this great story, the story of Noah. Consider it, but also think about how it points us to the greater story of Jesus. In Genesis 5 and 6, when we begin to hear about this guy named Noah, the aftermath of the fall is in full effect. The sinfulness of man is on full display. We go in a very short amount of time from disobedience and lying to jealousy between brothers and ultimately murder. Talk about a snowball effect, right? That's a pretty fast escalation, and it only gets worse. People that God created for worship are now broken. They're feeling the effects of the curse. And the Bible says that they are now inherently evil and that God is grieved because of this. God's heart is grieved because of what he sees in the heart of man. Look at Genesis 6, 5 and 6. The Lord saw an important reminder that God is looking, right? The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. Now, what do you think about the depravity that's displaying for us there? The full weight of corruption, how consuming sin is, that every thought of a man's heart was evil. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him. It grieved him, this personal God who loves his creation. It grieved him, the wake of sin that he was seeing before him. He so grieved, in fact, that the Bible says God decides to blot out man whom he's created from the face of the earth. What once was declared very good by God is suddenly not good. So not good that it's not even worthy of existence. It's intrinsically evil, entirely evil. Every intention of man was evil. And God's character demanded a response. He could not abide this amount of evil. He could not abide this wickedness. And so his character demanded that he respond. Judgment was coming. But even in the midst of this potential judgment, even in the midst of the weight of this curse, a promise is unfolding before us. A promise that was given in the wake of the curse of Adam. You may remember Genesis chapter 3. 
Verse 15, as God is cursing the serpent for leading man astray, he offers a glimpse of the gospel, the first taste of the gospel that we get in the entirety of Scripture, Genesis 3.15. He says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring, offspring of of wickedness and her offspring. And this, this offspring will bruise your head while you only bruise his heel. There's a promise that even in the midst of this curse, there's someone who is going to come, the seed of a woman, who is going to be able to have an effect on the effect of sin, to be able to undo what sin has done with the the serpent, what Satan has led us into, undo the destruction that has befallen all of creation. And as we consider the destruction of sin, we also have to consider this promise and that God is working somehow to push forward what he has promised. And so in Genesis 5, we catch a glimpse of the possibility that this promise is being fulfilled in the person of Noah, that maybe somehow Noah is the answer to the effect of sin, that, that God will use Noah to somehow satisfy the curse Verse 28 of Genesis 5, we encounter Noah's father, Lamech, in the midst of a genealogy. And as this is a side, this is a, an important reminder that genealogies are not just to skip over. <laughs> that there are really good things in genealogies that we need to be aware of. And Lamech lived 182 years and he fathered Noah. And as he is considering his son Noah, listen to what he says about Noah. Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed This one, Noah, shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. And so if you're a careful Bible reader, if you've been walking through the story of the book of Genesis, something should spark in your mind. Is is Noah the one? Well, he bruised the head as his heel is bruised by serpents. Will he be the one to deliver us from the curse? Is it through Noah that a true new beginning can happen? And as readers, we're forced to wrestle with the question, is this son of promise the son of promise that can accomplish the promise of God? It's clear that Noah has been set apart by God. In a sea of unrighteousness, there's one man put there as a light to the darkness, set apart by God as evidence that it's possible to live upon this earth in a way that pleases the Lord. This guy Noah, according to chapter 6, verse 8, found favor with the Lord. So see what's happening here. A sin is growing rapidly upon the earth God's redemptive plan is not caught by surprise. He has already set a chosen son of promise upon the earth whom he will be able to use to continue his act of redemption upon the earth. Through the son of favor, God is going to offer a new beginning. He's going to call Noah to be a new Adam. But here's what we have to ask. Is he the new Adam? Is he the one 
who will accomplish all the purposes of God. Let's dive into the story to figure it out. Genesis 6, verse 11 to 22. Listen to God's interaction with Noah here as the son of promise, the righteous in the midst of unrighteousness. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. Not evidence of the Lord leading. And the Lord's leading, there's peace, right? But the earth is filled with violence. God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. What they have destroyed, what they have made a mockery of, I will use now to destroy them. God said to Noah, Make rooms. Build an ark, verse 14. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark. Finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, verse 17, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But, aren't you glad? <laughs> That's not the whole story. But, I will establish my covenant. The covenant that I began with Adam, I will now establish with you. And you, in the midst of that judgment, shall come into an ark, the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you, and of every living thing of all flesh. You shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing upon, upon the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in to keep, uh, into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. And Noah did this. In fact... He did all that God commanded him. Now, what are we reading here? In this passage, Genesis 6, we see a story of uncreation. Notice how God is undoing a portion of his creative work in order to bring judgment upon the earth. What once he had separated, water from land, he will no longer separate, bringing the water back over the earth as an act of judgment and an act of cleansing to make possible a new beginning. The water was to cover the earth, to remove sin, to judge sin and remove it. But how would creation go forward? How could the new beginning move forward if everything had died? Well, in the midst of that judgment, God had made provision through Noah and his family and the work that he would do through Noah so that a remnant could be saved in the midst of judgment so that God's plan upon the earth through humanity to glorify himself could carry forward. The restart, the reset, is only possible because there is a son of promise, a set-apart one, considered righteous before the Lord, who had found favor in his sight, who could do what no one else could do in order to make this new beginning possible. God makes a covenant with Noah in chapter 6, verse 18. He makes a promise to him in order for Noah to do what Adam 
was initially supposed to do. What had been entrusted to Adam is now entrusted to Noah. He will be the chosen one to represent all of creation and lead them into God-glorifying worship. He will be the one to evidence how to walk with God, to find favor in the eyes of God. But will he be enough? Will he be the one to actually undo all of this sin? He may be a type of Adam, but will he be the new Adam? The story continues. Having built the ark, he and his family called out by God, enter into the ark with the animals called out by God. God seals them up and then judgment comes. And it is stunning. The waters rise for 40 days. The earth is being undone before our eyes in judgment. And the judgment continues to increase until Genesis 8 one, as God is pouring out his wrath, God remembers Noah and the covenant, the promise that he made to Noah. And he remembers the beasts and the livestock that were with him in the ark, the ones he had called out for salvation. And as he remembers Noah, look as his judgment relents. Verses 1 to 5 of chapter 8. He remembers them. God made a wind blow over the earth. The water subsided, the fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. And at the end of 150 days, the water had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on a mountain called Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month and the 10th month on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were finally seen. Eventually, the Lord opens the ark and allows Noah and his family and the animals on board, the ones called out by God to be saved, to once again step onto dry ground. He does again what he had undone so that creation and humanity could move forward in their task to worship him, to glorify him as they were created to do. A new beginning had come. A new world, in a sense, laid before them, and Noah worships God. And how could you not? I want you to think about what Noah has just witnessed, right? He has seen the entirety of the earth covered in water. He has seen the entirety of the earth wiped out by God's wrath. And he has sat there in an ark that he wouldn't have known to build or how to build without the help of God. Direct evidence of God's mercy in the midst of judgment as he considers that if not for the act of God, he would be in those waters too. As he walks out of that ark now, walking out of the very provision that God made for him, he cannot help but worship. Praise the Lord that he would look so kindly upon me and save me from a destruction that I deserved. He offers the Lord a sacrifice that pleases the Lord. The Lord further blesses Noah and his family whom God set apart. And he offers a new beginning through them. It's a pretty powerful story, isn't it? Pretty incredible 
declaration of God's judgment, but also salvation in the midst of that judgment and the hope of a new beginning. So let's consolidate, if we can, some of the truths that we have uncovered, that we've been pointing out in the story of Noah. What, What do we see of the work of salvation that God does through Noah? Well, firstly, we see God appointing in Noah a son of promise. And it's important for us to grab a hold of this idea of the son of promise, that there will be figures throughout the Old Testament where we begin to consider or we're we're asked to consider whether or not they will be the seed of woman that will undo the seed of the serpent. We begin to wonder, is there any hope for creation, we begin to wonder how God will respond every time we are once again confronted with sin, once again confronted with the devastation and depravity of the world. And time after time, we are, we are asked to consider, will this be the one? Will this be the one that God will use to save his people, to save creation from itself? Noah is presented here as a possibility, as a son of promise his father prophesying over him, suggesting to us, even before his birth, there's something about the life of this guy Noah that will bring relief from our work, from the painful toil of our hands. And of course, a portion of this is true. God does complete a work of salvation through Noah for those that he calls out. He does complete a protection, an act of mercy in the midst of judgment through Noah and his family. Some salvation is accomplished, but is it enough? What is the salvation that God provides through the Son of Promise? And what is it salvation from? Another element of this story that we need to consolidate and think about for a moment is the way that the story speaks about God's wrath. The son of promise is hope for us because it comes in the midst of certain judgment. It comes in the midst of devastating wrath. We cannot miss the truth that the story of Noah in a lot of ways is the story of the wrath of God. And I've said it before, maybe some of you have heard me say it, but it's always amazing to me how we feature this story in children's ministry, right? I mean, I understand the elements that are in play that are attractive to kids, the old men with the beard, the boat, the rainbow, the animals. But guys, There's so much death. I mean, do you recognize what's happening here? Maybe it's because we like water that we don't get what's happening here. You know, we like to be in water, don't we? We like to swim. We like to go boating, right? I mean, if if you've got to be in a story, why not be in a boat, right? And maybe somewhere in the back of my mind, we think that there's a giraffe on 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 a tube being pulled behind the ark, right? And They're having a great time on the lake. But no, water can be fun, but water can be destructive. Have any of you ever seen a flood? Have you ever been a part of a flood? Listen, water is great when it remains where it's supposed to be. But when it starts coming, there is nothing you can do to stop it. I've had the unfortunate 
opportunity to witness several floods, devastating floods in New Orleans, my hometown even, and then in Houston. Devastating floods. And I want you to think about the nature of flooding. So you get a, a feel for what's happening here, the nature of God's judgment. Flooding is destructive. I mean, it's, it destroys everything it touches. It's devastating when the water comes in. And it's overwhelming. When it starts coming, there's not a thing you can do to stop it. It reveals how helpless we are. I don't care how many sandbags you put up. If that water wants to come, it's got enough power to come, and it is relentless. It's relentless. It doesn't stop. Is there a better description of God's judgment than flood? God's judgment similarly is destructive. It's devastating. It's overwhelming, and it is relentless. So it's important to note here in the story of Noah that in the midst of judgment, God has called out Noah and his family. He has called out two of every kind as an act of mercy to salvation. This son of promise, through the son of promise, there is a sliver of hope as one family is called out. A select group of earthly creatures is called out as a way forward to offer protection in the midst of God's wrath. And the result of this salvation is the hope of a new beginning. On the other side of God's wrath, on the other side of God's judgment, we get a restart, right? It's like Mario Kart. You've fallen off Rainbow Road. But don't worry, you've got some more lives left. It's a refresh. The wicked are gone. The earth has been cleansed with water. And here's the question we have to wrestle with. Will this time be different? Is it finally fixed Will Noah succeed where Adam failed? Will we live in blessing or will we still live under curse? Well, the promise that Lamech spoke or the, the hope that Lamech placed over Noah be fulfilled in Noah. Well, unfortunately, guys, hate to be the bearer of bad news. The hope that we find in Noah doesn't last very long. And here's the major reason why. Why Noah offered salvation, he didn't offer transformation. And while the earth may have been cleansed, the heart of man was not cleansed. There was still a stain that had yet to be taken care of. And we see it on display in Genesis 9, verses 20 to 29. After they get off the ark, after they worship, after the covenant and blessing are reaffirmed by God over Noah and his family, something tragic happens in verse 20 in chapter 9. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. And you know what that means? Grapes. You know what that means? Alcohol. And he got drunk, and he lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment 
laid it on both their shoulders, walked backward, and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. And when Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest had done to him, he said, cursed. Not blessing, curse. There's still curse. Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May guard and large Japheth, and let him dwell in the tent of Shem. Let Canaan be his servant, not peace, curse. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years after he died. What a tragedy that Noah's story doesn't end very much differently than Adam's. Noah is naked and in a shameful state. Shamed because he's allowed the earth that he was to have mastery over, have mastery over him. In the same way that Adam gave way to a serpent who was below him, Noah has given way to the fruit of the ground. Abdicating his responsibility, and now he's in a shameful state, and his son extends the shame. Instead of covering the shame, which would have been the, the godly thing to do as a, as a son, the son extends the shame by going and laughing about it with his brothers. And in the aftermath of that story of shame, Noah offers a curse, such that at least some, maybe not all, but some, of his descendants will not live in blessing, will not live in peace. They will live under curse. Noah was not able to completely undo the effect of sin. Islamic hoped a stain does remain. And this begins to stir a question in our hearts. Is there someone? Is there someone who can do what Noah couldn't do? Is there someone who can undo the effect of sin set forth in Adam? Is there a better son of promise, a true Adam, a better Noah? Is there someone who will offer a better salvation? Is there someone who can bring about a true new beginning? And I hope you see here how the Bible is whetting your appetite for the answer whose name is Jesus. Yeah, he's the one. He is better than Noah. The true and better Noah, he is Jesus, is the son of promise who will save the ones called out by God and usher in a glorious new beginning. That's who this Jesus is. And that's how the story of Noah begins to unfurl something in our heart that longs for Christ, the true and better Noah, the true son of promise who will save the called out ones and offer a glorious new beginning. Let's, let's think about, in relation to the story of Noah, how Jesus is shown as better. Jesus is the true son of promise. He is the, the true fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, the hope expressed by Lamech of someone who can undo the effect of the curse is only partially realized in Noah, but now it is fully realized in Christ. And there have been a whole bunch of people who have been declaring that his time is coming. He's not just proclaimed by his father. He's the, he's the son of promise of whom many prophets have spoke. This guy is announced by shepherds and angels. All the heavens rejoiced at his birth because he is the promised one. 
The one who will not just bruise the head of sin, but crush it. And he offers a greater salvation, Jesus. God set apart Noah in order to be a light in the midst of darkness. And through Noah's obedience, God did save a remnant of creation in order to bring about a new beginning. And while that salvation that we saw from God through Noah was incredible, it is small compared to the salvation of Christ. And why is that a big deal for us, this greater salvation? Well, hear me. Judgment is coming. As in the days of Noah, we see Jesus himself talking about this. Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 to 44. He's he's talking about the day when he will come and he will bring judgment upon the earth. He says, concerning that day, that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son. The Father only knows. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man, both in evil and also in shock and surprise. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, not aware of the judgment that was to come, just living their lives normally. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. The two will be in the field. One will be taken, one left. The women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. There will be evil. There is evil upon the world. And while God is restrained at this moment, it does not mean that he doesn't care. And there will be a day when he will pour out his wrath upon the earth. And while he may not do it with water again, as was his covenant, he will do it with fire. A day of judgment is coming. And there will be an ignorance to those who do not know what God has provided for them in Christ. People who did not pay attention to the provision of God went about living their lives as if nothing was wrong, and then all of a sudden, they will be consumed. But here's what we know. In the midst of that wrath, in the midst of that judgment, a way of salvation has been made possible by a greater son of promise. And as 1 Peter 3, 18-22 notes, it won't just be eight people that get saved. Aren't you glad? (laughs) Right? The salvation in Noah was great. But it was eight people and a, some couples of animals. Think about the expanse of the work of salvation that Christ has offered on our behalf. This son of promise has built a greater ark so that all of us who have been called out by God can get on board and miss the coming judgment of God. greater destruction met with a greater act of salvation in Christ. And leading to a new beginning, a truly new 
beginning. He's the greater son of promise who offers a greater salvation and leads us to a greater new beginning. The question is, what will happen on the other side of this salvation? Will anything be different once we get off the ark? Will our hearts still be stained with sin even if the earth has been judged once again? You see, Noah could bring about salvation for his family, but he could not bring about transformation. The saving work that he offered was only in part. As righteous as he was, he couldn't make others righteous. That is the work of Christ. He could not be the true new Adam. And that's why Jesus is. As he offers complete salvation, complete transformation. Listen, when God saves you in Christ, he doesn't just improve you. He transforms you. Isn't that good? Because listen, I don't care how many new tires you get put on you. I don't care how many quarts of oil get poured in. I don't care how many belts you get put on. You're an old beater who ain't going to run. You can't just be fixed a little bit. You can't just be improved. You have to be made new. And that is what God does for you in Christ. When the Spirit of God comes within you, a transformation takes place such that when you used to be against God, when you used to be not for the things of God, now you are for them and you are living your life. Your heart desires to live your life in a way that honors the Lord. You're growing in Christ and you're awaiting the day when all creation will reflect what's happened within you. And the stain of sin will be finally removed in a new heaven and a new earth, joined by a new Jerusalem, glorified bodies in a glorified state as we worship God for all eternity as we were created to do. And what a glorious day that will be. Can you imagine when our hopes will be fully realized in Christ when we step out of that ark and we see the garden again. Walking with God, having favor with God forever. Friends, that should lead us to worship. Can you imagine yourself as Noah? Can you imagine yourself sitting on that ark looking at the destruction all around you, having heard the cries, having seen the destruction, and knowing that if not for God, you would be there too. Friend, that story is our story. And while Noah points to Jesus, he also reveals some things about ourselves. And when you recognize the judgment that's coming, and you further recognize that if not for the work of God in Jesus, that would be your fate too. That mercy that you behold in God, that love that he has shown you, it's got to drive you to worship. It's got to drive you to a place where you acknowledge the greatness and the goodness of God. It brings you to a place of humility. 
where you give everything to him. That should be our response, as it was Noah's. Oh, what a salvation that has been given to us in Jesus. And oh, what a new beginning awaits because of the work of Christ. So today, let us worship a God who has miraculously saved us. I don't know what song we're going to sing, but whatever we sing when we come up here, if you are in Christ, you better be singing. Because he's worthy of that. And if you don't know Christ, if you ain't on the boat, get on. Because judgment is coming. And if you are not in Christ, you will be under the water instead of floating above it with Jesus. And we don't want that for you. We want you to know Christ and the provision that God has made for you, for you in him. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. Saved from what? The coming judgment of God. And for those of us in Christ, oh, we'd welcome you in. There's plenty of room on this boat. It's not just a capacity of eight. Wherever you are, would you bow your head? Spend some time asking the Lord to help you know how to respond today. The story of Noah, but in reality, the story of Jesus. Are you covered in Christ? If not, let today be the day. If Jesus were to return today, which partner would you be? The one left in the field? awaiting destruction of the one taken home with Christ. If you don't know, you can know. Maybe the Holy Spirit right now is working in your heart to call you out and get you on this ship. For the rest of us, when God is called out and saved, setting us apart, as a way for his redemptive story to continue. In Christ, would you worship today? Would you remember, would you be encouraged by the work that God has done for you in Jesus? And would you sing? Father, help us know how to respond. Find us faithful, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Stand and respond as the Lord leads.